This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture reading will be taken from 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 to 22. You may refer to the Bibles uh, on the seats uh, below, or you can also refer to the screen above. Today's scripture reading will be done by Sister Mason. Today's passage is taken from 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 to 22. If you're using the Bibles in the service hall, please turn to page 340. 340. I'll begin reading. Solomon builds the temple, verse 1. In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziph, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 wide, and 30 high. The portico at the front of the main hall of the temple extended the width of the temple, that is 20 cubits, and projected 10 cubits from the front of the temple. He made narrow windows high up in the temple walls. Against the walls of the main hall and the inner sanctuary, he built a structure around the building in which there were side rooms. The lowest floor was five cubits wide, the middle floor six cubits, and the third floor seven. He made offset ledges around the outside of the temple so that nothing could be inserted into the temple walls. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. The entrance to the lowest floor was on the south side of the temple. A stairway led up to the middle level and from there to the third. So he built the temple and completed it roofing it with beams and cedar planks, and he built the side rooms all along the temple. The height of each was five cubits, and they were attached to the temple by beams of cedar. The word of the Lord came to Solomon, as for the temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David, your father. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and completed it. He lined its interior walls with cedar boards, paneling them from the floor of the temple to the ceiling and covered the floor of the temple with the planks of juniper. He partitioned off 20 cubits at the rear of the temple with cedar boards from floor to ceiling to form within the temple an inner sanctuary, the most holy place. 
The main hall in front of this room was forty cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar, carved with gourds and open flowers. Everything was cedar; no stone was to be seen. He prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple to set the ark of the covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was twenty cubits long, twenty wide, and twenty high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold, and he also overlaid the altar of cedar. Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold, and he extended gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary, which was overlaid with gold. So he overlaid the whole interior with gold. He also overlaid With gold, the altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary. This is God's word. We now invite Pastor Nick to deliver the sermon. Good morning. Uh, thank you, Sister Mason, for for reading the passage for us. Uh, we'll be looking at First、uh, Kings chapter five, chapter six. So it's a long passage, so、uh, we we just had part of that reading、uh, done for us. Let me pray for us as we go through the God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, splendor and majesty are before you. Strength and glory are in your sanctuary. Today we behold the temple that the wisest men to ever live made for you. As we behold the temple, please help us to behold you. Give us a glimpse of your splendor and majesty, your strength and glory. Amaze us once again with yourself through your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. What? Would, how much would you pay for this drink? Now, this week I heard about、uh, this prime drink. So it's not the drink that you get at a prime supermarket. No, it's the drink is called Prime.、Uh, but each bottle costs seven, at least seven dollars fifty cents. For this, for this price, you can get I don't know th-、uh, three one point five liters of hundred plus at, at a supermarket. Yet, okay, this is very expensive. Yet. Youths have been forming sneaking queues at shops selling these prime drinks. And if if you if let's say you bought this bottle for seven dollars fifty cents, some youths are even willing to pay for the empty bottle once you're done. Pay twenty dollars for that empty bottle to bring to school. Apparently. So why is this drink so popular? What's so special about this drink? Because you know, these two influencers in the poster here, they. Promoted this drink as they were going around doing their tour, and these two influencers have a have a total of fifty million subscribers around the world. So CNA says, Prime is not just a drink; it is a connection to their favorite influencers, a way to feel part of a cool group and a chance to show off their style. That special feeling makes them willing to pay a little bit a bit more for it. So youths want to be with these influencers, so they would form snaking queues. They would pay extra to be part of this group, to have that special feeling, a special feeling of relationships. Youths desire relationships, to be with someone. It's not just the youth youths that desire relationships. All of us desire relationships. We we want to be with someone with a. We want to be in relationship with someone, and the problem with this with this drink is that the people that 
that the youth want to be with, the people, or even for us, the people that we want to be with, cannot be with us all the time. So these two influencers cannot be with their each cannot be with each of their fifty million subscribers all the time. Our loved ones uh, cannot be with us all the time. So we desire that special feeling for relationships, yes, but no human being can give that to us. So we need someone who can always be there for us. And that someone cannot be a finite human. That someone we need is an infinite God. It's the infinite God. So today our passage is about being with God. And our passage shows us three things about being with God. So first, your being with God is worth any price. And next, because God wants to be with us. And third, the king's obedience lets us be with God. So first, uh, being with God is worth any price. So we are now in the, in the book of First Kings. The last time we saw how God gave King Solomon wisdom. And King Solomon ruled over God's people wisely. So God's people prospered. They did well. And today's passage is why King Solomon wants to start to build God's temple. So in chapter 6, verse 38, at the end of today's passage, it says that Solomon would take seven years to build God's temple. Now Solomon needed lots of materials for the temple. So he needed lots of wood. And the wood has to be the best wood. It has to be the wood from Tyre. From King Hiram of Tyre. So Solomon sends this message to Hiram in chapter 5, verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I put on the throne in your place, will build a temple for my name. So give orders that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me. My men will work with yours, and I will pay you for your men whatever wages you set. You know that we have no one so skilled in felling timber as the Sidonians. Solomon was David's son, and this, this son of David has a job to build the temple. And Solomon counted on Hiram's, on the king of Tyre's expertise to fell the cedar trees. So that Solomon could use this wood to build the temple. And in verse 6, you see, Solomon let Hiram set the price. Whatever wages you set, that I will pay. Hiram would get lots of food for wood. So whatever, whatever he wanted, Solomon would pay. This was a great deal for Hiram. So Hiram agreed in verse 8. So Hiram sent word to Solomon, I've received a message you sent me and will do all you want in providing the cedar and juniper logs. Hiram will provide all the wood that Solomon wants. So Solomon just now, he only said he wanted cedar. Hiram also threw in juniper wood. So Hiram would, would float the logs uh, down the sea from Tyre, and then Solomon would pick them up. And how much would this cost? In verse 9, Hiram said, And you are to grant my wish by providing food for my royal household. Food for my royal household. And how much food did that amount to? In verse 11, that amounted to a 20 kilogram, oh, sorry, 20,000 20, cores of wheat. Oh, that's about of 3.5 million liters of wheat. And 20 baths of olive oil. That's uh, 515,000 liters of olive oil. Now, that's a lot of food for, 
or Tyre. And that's what Solomon gave year after year for seven years. At least seven years. It might be even 20 years because in next week's passage, we'll see in chapter 7, verse 1, Solomon will take another 13 years to build his own palaces. So possibly up to 20 years of this kind of food. That's a lot of food for Tyre. And we still see there's a high manpower cost to build this temple. So in verse 13, King Solomon had 30,000 as conscripted laborers from Israel to go into Lebanon to get the wood. In verse 15, King Solomon had 70,000 carriers, 80,000 stone cutters, and 3,300 foremen. So in total, that's uh, almost 200,000. So Solomon had to pay for this uh, almost 200,000 strong uh, labor force for seven years of Israeli NS uh, for them to build God's temple. There's lots of food and lots uh, of, of God's people. So there is there's a great cost in building a temple. But you see that in verse 12, Solomon was doing all this, this, spending all this money, getting all this labor, and that is an act of wisdom. So chapter 5, verse 12, the Lord gave Solomon wisdom, just as he promised him. There were peaceful relations between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. If you you reflect on the amount of money that Solomon had to pay for the wood, a lot, of, a lot of money had to pay for to, to upkeep uh, the laborers, you realize that that's a lot. That doesn't feel like a wise use of, use of money. That feels like a huge waste of resources. How can, how can, it, how can this passage uh, in verse 12 say that this, waste, uh, this huge waste of money can be wise? Isn't Solomon being scammed? Well, in 2020, 2021, uh, two year, three years ago, someone made an estimate on the cost it would, uh, how much it costs to bring celebrities to your birthday party or your wedding to sing for you. So this is what they said. If you want to get Taylor Swift, she costs one million uh, US dollars, of course. If you want to get Billie Eilish, uh, 1.5 million. Uh, if you feel a little bit richer, you want to get upgrade, you, you want to get Maroon 5, uh, that's 2.5 million. And at the top is Rihanna. If you want to get Rihanna to sing at your birthday, it costs $8 million. Now to non-fans, that feels like a huge waste of money. But to people who, who, are, who are fans of, of these stars, these celebrities are worth every cent. So it's, they'll feel that it's wise for them to pay that price. Or Solomon... It's wise for Solomon to pay the price for the wood. Because he's not, building, uh, he's not just building any house. He's building a house for God. A temple for God. A temple for God to be with his people. And God's far more important than any celebrity. So because this is God's house, this is for God to live with his people, God, uh, Solomon will pay any price. Uh, Deuteronomy says, then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. 
and there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male servants and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Long before Solomon, God had told the people that they were to have this place where everyone was to come and worship. This is the place where God's people will worship or rejoice before God. Rejoice for rescuing them from their enemies. Rejoice for giving them this good land. Rejoice for, for being their God, for being in close relationship with them. So this was the place. The temple was a place that God's people will sacrifice, will worship God. This was the place that God's people can come to be with God. So no expense can be spared to be with God. So Solomon wisely maintained this relationship with Tyre. Solomon wisely maintained his labor force. The price of wood, the price of manpower was worth it to be with God. Friends, it's the same for us. You see, the Bible tells us that being with Jesus is worth any price. So Jesus uh, said this in Luke uh, chapter 9. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for, for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Jesus is God. And Jesus wants to be with us. He asks us to do the math. Follow, your, follow Jesus uh, by denying yourself and taking up the cross daily. That's, that's, that's the wise price to pay for following Jesus. Because in verse 24, this is the way to save your life. This is the way to save your life for all eternity. So following Jesus, giving up your life now, is wisdom for us. We can deny ourselves now uh, by putting other people first, by maybe uh, playing a part in serving the church. So we can deny ourselves well, by well, do, serving in PA, or we can deny ourselves by, by serving with the, the Batam teams that go, go every month. We deny ourselves, we can also deny ourselves uh, by praying for someone. We can deny ourselves by showing hospitality to a brother and sister in need. We deny ourselves because being with Jesus, following our Lord Jesus Christ, is worth any price. So being with God is worth any price. Why is that? Because God wants to be with us. If we're going to go through some of the details uh, of the passage, uh, there's, there are a lot of details here, I'll, I'll just look through some of them. But I also want to show you that there is something behind uh, what's, what, the, what the passage says about the temple. So first, the pa- passage links the construction of the temple to Exodus. So in chapter 6, verse 1, uh, this is what uh, the passage says. In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's, king, uh, Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, in the, sec- the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. The temple's foundations were, built, were laid 480 years after the Israelites came out of Egypt. Now, this is what we call the Exodus. So the passage here links the building of the temple with Exodus many, many years ago. What happened in Exodus? So is, the, the people of Israel were in another country. They were in Egypt. And Egypt had enslaved uh, the Israelites. 
So God sent 10 plagues to devastate Egypt so that Egypt would let God's people go. And God's, God's purpose uh, for, with the exodus to free his people is more than to just give the people freedom. God's purpose was to let them enjoy a relationship with him. Yes, yeah, so I, I, didn't, I didn't put this on, on the screen, but let me read this for you. So this is Exodus chapter 29. This is what God says. Then uh, they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell with them. I am the Lord their God. God saved them out of Egypt to dwell with them, to live in close relationship with them, to be their God. So after God's people left uh, Egypt, they lived in tents until they arrived at the, at the land that God promised. So God's presence tra- traveled with them well, symbolically through this uh, box. We call this uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God's Promises. And, and in, the, in this part of the story, in 1 Kings, God's people were already living in the land. They were living in permanent houses. They weren't moving anymore. But God's Ark was still in the tent. And Solomon is going to change that. Solomon is going to build this temple so that God is going to be with them in a permanent house. So that God wasn't going to be just with them uh, for the short term, temporary. This was going to be permanent. So this temple was actually the next step in the, in the, uh, with, with, between people and God in their relationship with each other. So what God started with Exodus uh, is now at the next stage with the temple. Now they are in even closer relationship with each other. So with the temple, there are echoes of Exodus, that God wants to be with us. And that's not all. The temple also has, also has uh, echoes of Eden. Now, Eden is even further back uh, in Israel's history. Another time that God was with his people. So we see, some of the, we see this, these echoes in the temple construction. Okay, I won't look at all the details, but I'd like you to just focus on the materials first. So to build the temple, Solomon used lots of wood and lots of gold. Now, uh, it, I read the, the other passage, I, I read the, the passage in, the, the parallel passage in First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and there are also other materials used inside the temple. But First Kings only lists out, or focuses on the gold and the wood to show you that uh, there's an echo to Eden. So first, the wood. So the passage tells us the main hall uh, inside the temple is made from floor to wall to ceiling, all wood. So chapter 6, verse 15. Look at that with me. Chapter 6, verse 15. He, that Solomon, lined the interior walls with cedar boards, panelling them from floor, uh, the floor of the, of the temple to the ceiling, and covered the floor of the temple with planks of juniper. So that's the main hall, but also the most holy place further in is made fully of wood. In verse 16, he partitioned off 20 cupids at the rear of the temple with cedar boards from floor to ceiling to form the temple in the inner sanctuary, the most holy place. So the most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant was going to be, and that represents God's presence. So floor to wall to ceiling, all wood, but there's also lots of gold in the temple. And not just gold, if you look at verse 20 to 22, you keep, uh, you keep hearing the words, pure gold. Verse 20, the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide, 20 high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. And he also overlaid the altar of the cedar. Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. And he extended gold chains around the front of the inner sanctuary, which was overlaid with 
gold. So you overlay the whole interior with gold. You overlay with gold an altar that belongs to the inner sanctuary. So on top of all the wood uh, that's in, inside the temple, God, uh, so Solomon overlaid everything with gold. Now these details of wood and gold remind, remind God's people of their close relationship with God back in the Garden of Eden. When God created the world, uh, God created Eden for God's people at that point, Adam and Eve, uh, to live and to work in. Adam, uh, Eden was a place where you find trees. So in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God had planted a garden in the, in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. Oh, that man is Adam. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. So you see trees, 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 lots of trees. And notice that Eden is also a place where you find gold. A river, flow, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headways, headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havila, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromic resin and onyx are also there. So the gold, the wood, these are echoes of the time in Eden when God and man enjoyed their close relationship with each other, close, close friendship where God would come and be with, be with his people in Eden. So the temple, Solomon's temple, reminds God's people of Eden. So it's as if through the temple, there's a new Eden. New Eden has come. God is now with his people. Except this relationship is limited because there's still some distance between God and his people because of the cherubim. Look at me at chapter 6, verse 23. Uh, let's see what it says about the cherubim. For the inner sanctuary, he made a pair of cherubim out of olive wood, each 10 cubits high. One wing of the first cherub the cherub was five cubits long, the other wing five cubits, ten cubits from wingtip to wingtip. So inside the most holy place where the ark was, were two huge cherubim. Now cherubim were, uh, they're like uh, angelic beings, like angels. Uh, but yeah, so these, these, the, these two cherubs, cherubims, they were over, between the two cherubims was the ark of the covenant. And I'd like you to imagine the size. Each was about five meters high. So I think the overhead bridge uh, that we have, that's 4.5 meters high from the floor to the bottom of the, of the overhead bridge. So a little bit more than that. That's how high uh, the cherub, each, cherubim, each cherub was. And both cherubims had huge wings. The wingspan, it's also about five meters wide. Now, this uh, cherubim, uh, they are not oversized, uh, uh, oversized, cute, precious moment angels. No, these huge cherubim, they are meant to scare you. They are giant heavenly creatures. They are ready for war. These two imposing creatures are there to warn people to keep away from the Ark of the Covenant, to keep people away from God. So again, this is uh, from Genesis. So just like I said, God's people had a great relationship with God, but at some point they chose to rebel against God. 
God cast them out of his good garden, Eden. And this is what it says. So the Lord God banished him, that's Adam, from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword dashing back and forth to guard the way to a tree of life. So after God's people rebelled against God, God put this angel, this angelic, cherubim is plural, so angels uh, to guard the way back to Eden. So in this temple, these two huge five-meter uh, five-meter cherubim with five-meter wingspan, they are meant to intimidate people. They are like this big keep-out sign to God's people. Yes, God has come to live with his people, but his people cannot come too close to God. God's people must still keep that distance. So these cherubim are like these, are like the bodyguards uh, like that surround the president. So in previous national days, after, National Day celebrations, after all the performances, uh, the previous president will go among the performers uh, to thank them. And I think if you, if you watch the, the performance, you watch the videos, you, you see that around the president, there are always these bodyguards making sure that the, performance, the performances well, cannot go and well, get too close to the president. Now, these burly bodyguards will be around her. You know, they look very stern, very scary. And they'll be scrutinizing well, everybody uh, as a potential threat. So the cherubim in Solomon's temple, they are the same. They are reminding people not to come too close, not to come too close to God. Now, why, why can't people come too close to God? Why do they need this warning not to come so close? Because you and I have all sinned. We have all guilt because of our rebellion, our own rebellion against God. So this cherubim is there to warn us that we cannot go all the way in the most holy place to talk to God. No, we are rebellious against God. We don't deserve to come to God. So how should we ex- understand uh, the echoes to Exodus and Eden? Does God want to be with his people or not? The answer is, yes, God wants to be with his people. The problem isn't with God. The problem is with us people. See, in our hearts uh, is this desire to just get the benefits from God. We don't want to be with God. We want all the benefits, but not God. We don't want God to have any say in our lives. The only God we might accept is this all-powerful cosmic genie that will grant us anything we want. Yeah, God wants to be with you. God wants to be with us. And he showed it, uh, when he, he showed it through Solomon's temple. That God came as close as possible to be with his people. God still wants to be with you and I. And he showed this uh, when, he took on, when he sent Jesus to be with us. So Jesus was God, and Jesus took on human form uh, and, and was born to Mary. And when he came, he fulfilled uh, this uh, prophecy. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God who came to be with us. Now, Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows our rebellion against him. Jesus knows the unsaid things we keep hidden. Jesus knows the ugliness, the selfishness of our hearts. Yet Jesus closed the distance between us and God. The distance that the temple magnified with this big keep-out sign. 
Now, even though Jesus has come, Jesus has come near, but we still cannot fix our relationship with God by ourselves. No. We need a king. The king's obedience uh, helps us, lets us be with God. So the description of Solomon's temple in chapter, six, so chapter 5 and 6 are interrupted in verse 11 by what God says. So in verse, uh, in verse 12, this is what God says. As for this, this temple you are building. Now you might expect your God to say well, what he wants in a temple. Maybe he wants the sacrifices to be offered daily. Or maybe he wants a space for different groups of people to pray. Maybe a woman here, men here, Gentiles there. Or maybe he wants a, I don't know, a, a special cushion for, for people to rest when they're serving God. No, but he doesn't give all these details about the temple. Even though it starts off with concerning this temple. You see, in verse 12, he asks for something else. In verse 12, what does he ask for? If you follow my decrees, observe my laws, keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David, your father. So Solomon, if Solomon could be that wise son that we read about in Proverbs chapter 3 that we read, the one who trusts God with all his heart, leans not on his own understanding. In all his ways, acknowledge God, and God will establish his power. If Solomon will be that king who follows God's decrees, who obeys God's, observes God's laws, who keeps and obeys all of God's commands, then for that 100% perfect king, God will fulfill his promises. God fulfilled his promise, promises to David, that one of his sons will have this everlasting uh, dynasty if you obey God. So if, if you are at First Kings, you observe with me a few chapters earlier to chapter 2, verse 4. So this is the promise that God made to David about his son. First Kings, chapter 2, verse 4. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. If Solomon could be that 100% obedient king, then Solomon's descendants will rule forever uh, on, on God, over God's people. So by this one man's righteousness, his throne can be secured forever. And that's not all. The perfect king secures God's presence for God's people. See, verse 13, by, by this 100% obedience, God says, chapter 6, verse 13, And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. If Solomon can be, if this one man Solomon can be this 100% perfect king, then God will always be with his people at his temple. God will never leave his people. As, you, as, you, as you're reading this, I'm wondering, why does God interrupt this, uh, this blueprint of the temple with, with this message to Solomon? Tell Solomon to obey. What does this teach us about God? This teaches us that the obedience of one man, uh, the, the obedience of one man teaches us that obedience is more important than the temple. You see, the temple represents God living with his people. So God's interruption here means to live with him 
in living with him, obedience, relationship is more important to God than building him a grand house with no obedience, with no relationship. If they don't want to obey God, then they don't want to live with God. Then the temple is meaningless. And in this passage, we see that uh, the only obedience required is not from all Israel. It's only from one man. Only one person needs to obey. So what's the response of God's people? God's people must make sure the king obeys. So because if the, if the king obeys, then as we saw just now, the, there will be uh, perfect obedience secures his dynasty. And perfect obedience secures God's presence with his people eternally. Now, no pressure, Solomon. Now, just like our, our representatives at our sporting events. So when, uh, when Joseph Schooling won the 100-meter butterfly in 2016, uh, when Lo Kien Yu won the World Championships for badminton in 2021, it's like we won. Or even though maybe you can't swim or maybe you can't play badminton, but you won. But if they don't win, then we lose. And this is, this is true in a much bigger sense for Solomon. There's a lot at stake for Solomon to obey perfectly. And Solomon will fail uh, in chapter 11. And by the end of 2 Kings chapter 25, the whole nation goes into exile and the line of ruling kings from Solomon took a pause. So this is the pattern through the Bible where one man's obedience or disobedience affects everyone. And Romans, this is in the New Testament, it says, For just, just as through the obedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. So there's one man here in Romans, he's talking about Adam. Adam was the first man that God made, but Adam disobeyed God. And his disobedience brought death into our world. So all of us are to die for our rebellion against God. But another one of King David's descendants perfectly obeyed God. And this is King Jesus. Jesus obeyed God perfectly. And Jesus could obey God perfectly because he is God. And Jesus' obedience can make us righteous because Jesus is human like us. Jesus is both God and man. And King Jesus' obedience lets us be with God. So God's promises uh, to David uh, about the eternal kingdom was not fulfilled uh, through Solomon, but through King Jesus. So Jesus is God with us. And just now I said, coming close to Jesus, uh, we cannot, we cannot, coming close to Jesus, there's a, there's a limit if we still have sin. In fact, if we come close to Jesus, means destruction if we are still guilty of our sin. But coming close to Jesus means life if we have his righteousness. If, we have, if he gives us his 100% perfection, his status of 100% obedience. So no matter how far you've fallen from God, how rejected you are by the world, how isolated you feel, King Jesus wants to be with you and wants you to be with him. King Jesus wants you to be part of his eternal kingdom. You're no longer struggling in this world with his uh, false promises, with his fake smiles. No more rebelling against him in your stubbornness. Trust Jesus as your king and follow him as your king. Love him as your God. Being Jesus is worth any price. 
Because Jesus is God with us. And Jesus lets us come to him through his obedience. Now practically, what does this mean for us? This means that our life must change. Your life with Jesus is the center of all your relationships, of every part of your life. So if you do have a relationship with Jesus, then what's most important to you is that relationship. So this means that your Bible reading and your prayer time is more than just your ticking off your reading or your prayer time for the day. But that is your communing, having a relationship with the Almighty God. Your relationship with Jesus takes first place over everything. Your studies, your work, your family, and your retirement. And your relationship with Jesus informs you how to live in all these spheres. Again, your studies, your work, your family, and your retirement. But Jesus has done, done it all to be with you. Will you be with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your persistent grace towards us, that you secure our relationship with you through Jesus to be with us. So Father, may we be willing to deny ourselves to follow Jesus daily. In Jesus' name, Amen. We will now have a short time of discussion. So please discuss what you've taken away from the sermon with those around you. You can also discuss these reflection questions. First question is, why should we thank God for Jesus? And how can I thank God for Jesus? It will take five minutes to discuss. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.